0: off the bus, I'm not even entirely sure where I am. I decided to get off the bus because as I was getting on the bus at the, just down from the campsite, I saw someone, saw one of the people who I know are trying to find me. I don't know how the hell they found me. How and why do people disappear?
1: If you brought somebody in to help you disappear, have you actually disappeared? We will deal with missing persons on a daily basis, so we're the national experts. Every year, over 300,000 reports of a missing person are made to the police. Even if you're not doing anything wrong, you're being watched. You'll go missing, and we'll allow it that you're never found. People set up are perfectly capable of holding on to important secrets. Anything
0: that you're doing, you're basically leaving
1: it to your duly elected representatives have been consistently informed by those Did
0: somebody go missing without a trace? I'm not sure. You're not looking for them, you're looking for the information they left behind. In the first part of our two-episode special, I became the missing person. I walked out of the front door and experienced the stress, difficulty, paranoia and anxiety of trying to remain off the radar. In this week's episode, things only got worse. Day four. Just feeling a bit depressed about it all now. You know, the only thing that's cheering me up this morning is I can smell fried food. Just looking at, uh, out in the, outside of the room and looking at the bookcase and there's a, a book about, um, there's a book about the local area. Looks like I'm just north of uh, Taunton, so I might head into Taunton today and uh, just see what's what, really. Not least because they've got a train station there. I might head down to the coast, maybe. I don't know. I haven't really thought it through. None of this has been particularly well thought through, so... And I think probably that's quite indicative of a lot of disappearances, you know. Still, I must say the uh, breakfast was nice. Basically ate like I hadn't seen food before. Walking into Taunton. Trying to save a bit of money. I could have got the bus, I guess. It's about a mile to Taunton. What's going on with this? Yeah, the watch has stopped. That's why it only costs five pounds. One other thing I never really thought about was clothes. I just kind of grabbed what I needed for that day, maybe another day. And I went. And so, last night, I had to wash my pants in the sink. Yeah, so I had to wash my uh, underwear in the sink. They didn't dry properly overnight. I mean, they, they dried a little bit, but not completely. Now it means that I'm wandering around in slightly damp underwear. So, underwear. Something else I hadn't really considered when I disappeared. Good at remembering birthdays, especially the birthdays of people that I care about. But in all the excitement this week of the last couple of days, kind of slipped my mind that it's actually my daughter's birthday tomorrow. I mean, makes me a bit sad, really. Yeah, it's going to be hard tomorrow, I think this is day four, so it'll be five days since I talked to my daughter. I've never not been there for a birthday, so... Something else to get depressed about. (sighs) I've just seen one of the guys who's involved in trying to find me. At least, I think it's him. He drives a Mondeo and I'm almost certain that's him. I don't know what to do now. I don't know how they've managed to find out where I'm going and where I'm heading. What I really should do at this point is I should get to the Taunton Station and just head in the other direction, like go to London or something. I'm worried about money. Thing is, if I if they know I'm in Taunton, then I could use an ATM here because I'm not really I'm not really losing anything by doing that. What I don't want to do is use an ATM in Taunton Station, although I don't know whether it really makes a difference or not. Now. Just goes to show that lack of planning is, uh, is really starting to show itself now. Almost at the train station now. do embankment station anyway. I think unfortunately I'm gonna have virtually no money. Because train ticket cost me 45 quid. A tube ticket. I do not remember how much it costs, but expensive. I don't even know what I'm doing really. I'm trying to find somewhere to stay tonight. Oh man it's so depressing. Everywhere so expensive and I just think that there's no way I can afford to stay anywhere. Even the hostels are too expensive for me. I think London's a good place to disappear in. You just look around at people. No one pays you any attention. You know, oh, this microphone to my chest for the best part of five days now. And everywhere I went, when I was down in Somerset, people looked at me as if, you know, as if I was doing something weird. Here, yeah, no one even looks at you. And if you took that kind of idea of anonymity forward and you really wanted to become anonymous, I think I'd probably just do what I talked about, what came up in the first series of the show. I'd Probably just live on the streets. I've passed about three or four homeless guys on the way down here now. No one even gives them a second look. And all these people that are passing me the whole time, the noise and the cars and the buses commuters and the tube and boats on the river there's just so much going on and sure there are cameras but I feel much more anonymous here than I ever did in the countryside I don't think anyone's even looked at me so I think if I was going to do it properly and not just for five days, this is how I'd do it I'd come here sooner and I'd start here and I'd try to disappear here with the right plan and you could do it for a, a long time but I've had enough of it now. I'm glad it's just an experiment because the whole process of disappearing is quite emotionally hard and psychologically hard. Mentally tired, you know, physically as well because I've walked absolutely miles, but mentally tired. It's tired of constantly being on guard, tired of constantly evaluating and reevaluating every tiny thing you've done. And it's just tiring. You know, you can never walk down a street and just take in the sights. You're walking down the street looking at other people, looking at cameras, trying to see in which ways you might get caught. And I think, ultimately, it's not even that. Ultimately, it comes back to what I talked about on the first series of the show, and that is leaving behind the people you love is the hardest thing of all. And even if, when you disappear, you don't necessarily have anyone, you love or feel close to. You know, leaving behind people. You know, people aren't meant to be alone. We, as humans, aren't built to be alone. So even if you don't have anyone to love you, very, very hard to exist in isolation. Very, very hard to go somewhere and not strike up conversations with people. I think, ultimately, that's what comes down to for me and what I find hardest is just stepping away from people. And because I do have people I care about, it's doubly hard. And ultimately, those are the reasons that I can't stay, disappeared. Coming up to London has really brought that home to me. This huge place in which it's very possible to vanish here. I can see the possibilities, but I can't carry on doing it because I'm not enjoying it. And it's really hard being away from people you care about, not talking to them and letting them know how you are and how you're getting on. And done, basically. My experience of disappearing only lasted five days, but at times, it felt like five months. Listening back to the audio now, I feel conflicted about the experience. I'm frustrated that I only managed to last five days, but relieved that it's over. By day five, I'd had enough. I'd had enough of traveling around, looking over my shoulder the whole time. I'd had enough of searching around for something to eat, of waking up alone, unsure of what I was gonna do that day or how I was gonna avoid being found. Often I'd feel anxious and paranoid. A few times I actually felt pretty fearful, particularly when I'd get to late afternoon and realize I had nowhere to stay that night. For someone who has always had a roof over his head and the comfort of a bed at the end of the day, that's pretty frightening. One thing I can say with a fair degree of certainty is that the things we talked about in season one of the show played heavily on my mind. It was why I left my phone at home and became so focused on the idea of not using an ATM. To discuss this more and to talk about some of the things I might not even have considered while I was missing, I invited back Renata Sampson, director of campaign group Big Brother Watch and an expert in surveillance. So I disappeared for five days And you'll be pleased to hear, Renata, that I took on a lot of the stuff that you talked about in the first series of Missing. Especially at the forefront of my mind was stuff like email, social media. I actually left the mobile phone at home.
1: That's very brave of you. Which
0: I thought was very brave. (laughs) One of the interesting things about leaving your mobile phone behind, it wasn't really social media I missed as such. I think what I missed was being adrift from what was going on in the world like not having a clue what was going on
1: I suppose it depends on what your interests are but there was a lot happening so how did you keep up did you buy a newspaper or uh, did you stop anybody and ask them what what the one o'clock news was or
0: buying a newspaper would have been a very sensible thing to do but do you know what it never even crossed my mind to pick up a newspaper when you disappear you don't want people to remember you and I'm not saying that I've got such an awesome personality that people are automatically like oh that guy oh he was great you know but You only need to say like one thing or, you know, like make one comment and then people sort of remember you. But did you go to supermarkets or did you go to independent shops? I went to a few independents. What are the dangers for me do you think of going into a place like a Tesco Extra?
1: Obviously they are going to have closed circuit television, CCTV throughout the store to maintain the safety of the store, to look out for shoplifters, whatever other reasons that shops choose to use CCTV now. So I was thinking if you were wandering around a shop trying to pick up some milk you wouldn't necessarily want to linger over the front page of the newspaper because it may be Hand popped into your head that you're going to be on CCTV in the shop, but obviously it's one of those examples. That I think we discussed last time we met that you are monitored by CCTV, picked up on whatever travels you go on. Now, in a shop, it's private CCTV owned by that store, but you would have been picked up by probably police and local authority CCTV as you were walking through the streets. But did you try and avoid town centres? Was CCTV in your head as something that you were nervous about?
0: My first instinct really was to go out in the countryside and kind of make a run for a place where there weren't that many people around. And one of the reasons I think I chose to do that was because of what we discussed in the first series, which is that idea of CCTV cameras being everywhere. And then after the sort of second day, I stopped thinking about it as much because other considerations kind of started taking over. So it was a broader
1: concern that you were trying to do something that was a little out of the ordinary for you and that you wanted to effectively be invisible.
0: I think that's exactly it. The first day, I was even so conscious of it that when I got on the bus, I thought, I bet there's a camera on here.
1: And you would have been right. (laughs) Yeah, because I remember
0: us talking about it. I remember us talking about how there were cameras on public transport all over the country. I wasn't able to see it. Of course, that doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't there. What is your take on surveillance cameras out towards the sort of sticks? Was I right in thinking that there would be less cameras out there? The
1: same as you. I assume that you're less visible on technology in the countryside than you are in a city centre. But obviously, there are cameras that you won't have necessarily thought about, such as if you were rambling through farmland. Obviously, there's all sorts of issues with maintaining protection of your cattle or of your land or farmers need to take precautions, just in the same way that Tesco's need to take precautions. So you may have been picked up on private CCTV because it's there to keep us safe. Mm -hmm. That's what we're always told. Now, there is a thing happening at the moment. Increasingly local authorities are are starting to take their CCTV systems down. And there's outcry about it. Residents all across the country, in the few spots where councils are saying actually CCTV is costing us too much money, we're going to remove it, we can't afford to keep it and it doesn't do the job that we want it to do. Residents are very upset because they feel as though all of a sudden they're not being kept safe when actually the councils are turning around saying the cameras aren't working, the cameras are pointing in the wrong direction, the cameras in areas where there is no crime, the quality of the cameras is very poor. On a psychological level I think it's very interesting that we don't know exactly how we feel. We feel awkward about surveillance but we somehow rely on surveillance. like Just like you relied on the man at the caravan park to give you somewhere to live but when he started asking you too many questions you wanted to shy away from it.
0: It's interesting that people felt they weren't as safe when the cameras were being taken away. And yet, up until that point, I bet no one really looked at the cameras and thought, oh, I'm glad the cameras are there.
1: Absolutely. To reassure anybody who's thinking, well, I don't want cameras to go, that's madness. There are still plenty of cameras on our streets. They're maintained by the police. They're maintained by private individuals, private shops, as we were talking about with Tesco's. But then there's also what's going to happen next. Keeping us safe on the streets is one thing, but crime increasingly is happening online. And you didn't have your phone with you, and we can talk about that. Mm. And you weren't obviously on a laptop or a tablet or any other form of internet connected device. But crime is starting to happen much more online. CCTV may keep us safe on the streets if it's working, turned on in the right place, and all the rest of it. But I bet a large number of the people who were saying that they were upset about CCTV probably use the same rubbishy one, two, three, four password for everything they do online and aren't thinking about the fact that crime now in twenty-first century is it's moving into new spheres. So. I'm curious. When you left the house, what did you take with you? What did you think were the absolute essentials? And what, based on the conversation we had last year of me running through how you could be followed from the minute you woke up, what did you think, I absolutely need this? And what did you do to limit you being surveyed, tracked or monitored?
0: I deliberately didn't try to think about it too much because I wanted to try and simulate the idea of someone just kind of upping and leaving without giving it too much thought. But the very first thing I thought about was I'm not going to take my mobile phone because it's a GPS... I don't want to go on social media because it's too tempting. I don't want to use any of the functions of the phone. You know, as soon as you whack on the phone, you're being geolocated. So I deliberately left the phone. I didn't take my laptop, obviously, for pretty much the same reasons. I did take my bank card because I wanted to withdraw the maximum amount of money I could take out for any one day, which is 250 quid. And I took my driver's license because I think if I was disappearing for real, I wouldn't have bothered. But because it was an experiment, for want of a better word, I didn't want to get stopped. And they're like, who are you? And I'm like, well, I've got no ID on me and and nothing else really. I mean, that was pretty much it.
1: So some clothes, a wash bag, your bank card and your driving license. Yeah,
0: that's pretty much all I took. And the recording equipment. So I forgot stuff like my watch. And of course, when I went to my pocket to check what time it was, I didn't have my phone. So I had no idea what time it was. If something as simple as that. I never even gave it any thought. And, and the weird thing is, is that even though I'm a writer and I like reading all the time, I never took any reading material with me either not a pen or a paper, to while away the hours. So it was. I just never even thought of it.
1: Because your phone's doing that for you. Your, yeah. your phone is your watch. Your phone is reading material. It's your watch. It's your map. No watch, no map, no A to Z, obviously map as well. Uh, no reading material because you would probably automatically go to news online or Twitter or whatever else. Do you take a pen and paper? Now, you're a no. writer. You must have taken a pen and paper. No,
0: I never even took a pen and paper. It's terrible. Do you know I never even took a book to read either? I, I find it's just so unbelievable, so isn't it so
1: fascinating that... We are now so digital that we don't think of analog things. No,
0: I, I don't feel like I'm wedded to my phone. And yet, all those things that we just talked about are functions of my phone that I've become so programmed and so sort of second nature to me that I never even considered how much I used them, I suppose, or needed them until I was in this situation.
1: We think we're hidden, but then we stick out like sore thumbs. But then we want to try and blend in. But then by blending in more, we shine out more. And we don't know all the thought processes you would have had.
0: I just felt I'd had enough, you know, by the end of it. It was physically tiring in in as much as I did a lot of walking um, because I was trying to make my money last as long as it could. Buses are very expensive, you know, like public transport is expensive. You know, staying in the caravan park wasn't that cheap. You know, I had a B&B for one night. That was expensive. I could have roughed it, I suppose. I could have slept in a field. Like if I was doing it for real, I maybe would have done that. I suppose I took some shortcuts, but at the same time, even taking those shortcuts and staying, you know, in a little bit of like luxury in a B&B, I mean even though it wasn't like the poshest B&B in the world. Even doing those things, by the end of it, I just had enough of it. You know, I'd had enough of being on my own. I'd had enough of feeling paranoid about looking around and watching people. And every time I I walked past someone, it seemed like they were looking at me.
1: Right. All of us inside ourselves want to be private we all want to have the choice. We tolerate the fact that we sit on a tube and people are going to stare at us because it's a process of getting somewhere. But it can often make us feel very uncomfortable. If you're upset, if you're trying to hide, if you are having a bad day, we want to occasionally just be private. Um, And increasingly, we're not able to do that. But uh, so I'm curious, you took all these precautions, you took some money out at the bank, you knew that that was going to be monitored. And you knew that when you went into shops, you were going to be picked up on CCTV. You didn't figure it out when you are on the bus, but then it did occur to you. You didn't take a bicycle with you, did you?
0: No, and I think that is a really good idea, which I never even considered.
1: You don't have to register a bicycle. You're not going to get picked up on AMPR. Yeah, a bicycle and a tent might have made your life a bit easier.
0: That would have been what a, a normal person you know, without that kind of immediate pressure of disappearing. I think that changes your perspective slightly, you know, like when you're saying, right, you've got to get out of here right now. A bicycle would have been good because that would have meant travelling at longer distances really easily rather than walking everywhere. You know, even a small tent would have been a great idea because then I wouldn't have burnt through the money so fast. But I just never even thought about it.
1: Let's say police start to have a database of everybody's face, taken from social media, for example, and you're walking through your train station on your disappearing journey. You've come into London, you've walked through a central train station and they are just running facial biometrics across every face. Every face is being scanned in the crowd. And they're all being ignored because they're not wanted faces. But let's say you disappeared for a week and your family had reported you missing and handed in a photo photograph of you on Facebook and that that had been scanned, it could be quite easy for them to pick you out of the crowd based on biometric qualities of your face. They'd let your family know that you're safe and well. That's wonderful in so many different ways and also potentially quite frightening for people who genuinely don't want to be found. As I say, that's fantasy, but I think we can both imagine that coming down the way.
0: At that stage, getting a bus immediately puts you on a map at the moment I could get on a bus and if I was that way inclined I could just cover my face you know with a balaclava or something to try and disguise myself but it's going to be impossible to disguise who you are when you've got a scan your retina
1: you said you traveled on public transport in London did you have an Oyster card
0: no I didn't have an Oyster card I mean an Oyster card would put you on the map obviously But I mean, I'm immediately on the map anyway, because as soon as I came off the train at Paddington, I spotted cameras. and I walked up the stairs at Paddington and around to where the Hammersmith, I saw tons of cameras. And then as an experiment, just looping back to what um, you were talking about, surveillance cameras earlier, I got off at Embankment, which from the Bakerloo platform, of Embankment to the surface is maybe a couple of minutes walk, not very far. 17 cameras I passed. I, I counted them. 17 cameras. So even if I don't use my Oyster card and pinpoint myself to entering the Tube at Paddington or whatever, then it's going to be pretty easy to find me on the Tube.
1: Did those 17 cameras make you feel safer?
0: Not at all. I said that as soon as I got down to the platform was waiting for the train, I was like, there's so many people here. And the theory my thinking was that I'm going to try the Be Anonymous in the city. And as soon as I got to the city, I was like, I don't know whether this is the right thing or not. You know, like there's so many cameras around. Sure, there's loads of people around, but... Is it better to be where there's not as many people and not as many cameras or more people and more cameras? I don't know. So
1: the technology aspects of the city bothered you, but then the one-to-one engagement of just human nature bothered you in the countryside?
0: Yeah. Wow. I mean, I was just on a constant heightened sense of paranoia. I can only describe it as paranoia the whole time, you know, like about people watching me, people finding me people striking up conversations with me and remembering me. And, you know, I knew that I was only going to be gone five days and I knew ultimately I was going to go home. I never had that fear and alarm and anxiety about making this a permanent fixture. And yet I still felt that sense of of being really, I think, frightened, actually, about just what I was going to do and where I was going to go.
1: Putting all of the emotional stuff to one side, what did you do with your days? You were working, obviously, because you were having this project. But if you were just being, just existing, do you think that without technology, you would be able to function, work, be, live, have a fulfilling life, have a fulfilling experience?
0: It's a really good question. And I'd love to say, yes, I'd be fine. But I actually don't think I would be. My research these days is all done online. Well, pretty much all online, you know. I mean, obviously go and chat to a few people as well, but mostly online. And so, I mean, I need the internet for that. All the correspondence I have with Penguin is done over email. So I'm actually not sure that... um and, you know, like in the evening when I settle down with my wife and watch a TV series or whatever, we're watching on our smart TV and uh, through Netflix or Skype or whatever it is, you know, something I've signed up to and someone, both of those companies have my bank details and all that sort of stuff. So if you're doing it properly, if you're really going to vanish, you've got to lose all of those things. I challenge you to spend
1: a week at home living with just a landline telephone no internet, definitely no smart TV, seriously embedded microphones and cameras tut I know, I know but I challenge you to live an analogue life In your travels, without any of this stuff, you felt a sense of paranoia because you felt as though you were being watched. By the end of the year, the Investigatory Powers Bill will be law and it's still in there that internet connection records, the requirement for telecommunication companies to retain the starting point of every website you go to, so www.bbc.co.uk, google.com, whatever. Not what it is your search is, but the website that you've gone to. As of the end of this year, unless the Lords get rid of it, your web activity, your research activity is all going to be stored. Now, bearing in mind the paranoia that you have felt walking around the street, the looking over your shoulder, do you think that the knowledge that your internet activity is being kept and possibly never handed over, but there if the police or the intelligence agencies wanted to have a look at it... That if you did go missing again and you allowed your family to report you, that they would come and have a look through your computer and look at all the missing stuff you've been researching beforehand. That there's another aspect of your life that's being recorded. Does that bother you about using that technology at home?
0: I think, you know, I often joke to my wife already that, you know, if they came and stormed through the door and took my computer away, because as a thriller writer, you're researching all sorts of stuff like Google search. How long does a body take to decay? And, you know, whatever it is, you know, like it's there's some stuff on there that's probably going to seem quite um, bizarre to a lot of people. And a lot of thriller writers sort of joke about that, you know, like they wouldn't want to see our search history, but... It does bother you because I think it's another aspect of your life that someone that you don't know has access to. And I think that's the thing. We talked earlier about being on the tube and that sense of we want to remain private, even though we're kind of squeezed into this tin can, you know, for 10, 12 stops or whatever it is. And I think that's the same at home. Obviously, when we're at home on the web, we want that to remain private.
1: We live our lives online. You've shown that it's possible not to, but it drove you a bit nuts and you Probably couldn't have done it for a very long with, with time. Some,
0: with some sacrifice.
1: But increasingly we will be controlling things through apps on our on our phone that we pretend we don't use very often. But here's a challenge for both of us. With a pen and paper. Let's mark on a piece of paper every time we touch our phone. I bet it'd be a
0: lot. You know, it'd be like one of those scenes from a film where they're marking up notches the amount of weeks they've been in prison. Exactly.
1: So whilst you've discovered that you can disappear, but you can't actually disappear, you're soon not going to be able to disappear within the comfort and security of your own home. And that's something we all really need to have a think about.
0: Cool, I think that's a great place to uh, to end on. Thanks, Renata. Thank you. Undergoing the full physical, mental and emotional turmoil of a disappearance can never fully be represented by what I did. At the end of the day, somewhere at the back of my mind, I always knew I could go home again and there would be no repercussions. Ultimately, I knew it was only for a short time and that when it came down to it, I'd put my card into a cash machine and withdraw more money before I ever spent a night on the streets. That's the difference between the five days I spent flying beneath the radar and the 2,500 other people every year in the UK. Even so, It really brought home to me how psychologically difficult it is to drop everything and walk out on your life. The longer I was missing, the more small things would play on my mind, growing bigger and more important, as well as more damaging, the more time that passed. The idea of missing my daughter's birthday for the first time in her life became this anchor, a weight that just dragged me further and further down. Saying that back now, from the comfort of a recording studio, it sounds absurd that I would become so obsessed by the concept of missing one day of her life. But when you're completely alone with only your own thoughts for company, and especially when you combine it with everything else that is going on during a disappearance, constantly being on the move, the paranoia, the fear of saying something wrong, of being found out, it all just builds and builds and becomes something much bigger. You fixate on small things that, during the normal course of life, you wouldn't give much thought to. We didn't include it in this episode in the end, but on day four, I spent about 15 minutes trying to recall what my wife and I had bought my daughter for her birthday. Just this ridiculous, slightly delirious conversation with myself, born out of a frustration at not being able to remember, and not being there to ask the question myself, or to help make things right. In the last episode of season one, I said that I felt it was possible to go missing, even with all the technological traps that are set for us in the modern age, that the people in our lives, whoever they are, would be the tether that made it hard for us to completely start afresh. Having experienced, in a small way, some of the unique and disquieting consequences of disappearing myself, I'm even more certain of that now. And for me, that makes the stories of the 1% who never turn up even more remarkable alarming and upsetting than before.